Welcome to another special episode of On The Couch with myself, Henry Jennings from Marcus Today. Joining me today is June Bay Lu from Portfolio Manager with Tribeca Alpha Fund, one of Australia's longest-running equity long-short funds. June Bay is a passionate investor with over 18 years of investment experience, covering a large range of sectors and a fantastic public speaker. I've got to say, I've, I've heard her speak many times, and you will have seen her many, many times on TV with such luminaries on Bloomberg and CNBC and Ausbiz as well. And for the last 14 years of June Bay's career, she has been with Tribeca, and prior to that, she was with Morningstar, I believe, and you were a retail analyst for some time. And of course, Jun Bei is a Chinese speaker and regularly travels to China, so I'm really interested to hear her take on what's happening up there. And she is a CFA charter holder and member of the Australian Institute of Company Directors. So welcome, Jun Bei. It's great to have you on the show. Henry, thank you so much for having me on the show. Um, it's, uh, uh, it's, it's always fantastic to have the opportunity to, uh, to speak to yourself and uh, you know, speak a bit about our fund and my view. Well, you're, you're going to be very popular. I can, I, I can tell you now, you'll you're knock the lights out in terms of uh, our downloads. So uh, Jonathan Higgins from Shaw, better watch out. Now, just before we go and get into the podcast, I must remind all our listeners that this is general advice only, so please do your own research, contact your own financial advisor regarding any of the thoughts, ideas and insights that Junbei and myself talk about on this show. It is general advice only, so just be aware of that. So, first up, Junbei, tell us about your fund, the fund at Tribeca. Of course. So I am uh, I'm running the Tribeca Alpha Plus Fund. And uh, so this fund actually has been around for close to 15 years. As you mentioned before, makes it one of the longest running longshore fund. It is very significant because, uh, you know, if you look at across the, um, you know, the, the longshore fund manager space, there's only really a handful of them. And uh, most of us have done very well. And uh, um, but, um, you know, but not many of them have been around for that long through different market cycle. Um, so and you know we've we've uh, we, we've performed very well through the last 15 years. Um, and the fund itself is almost uh, 900 million dollars. Um, you know uh, it's uh, it, it's uh, I I actually has been the um, sole fund manager for this fund uh, for the last few years. And uh, you know we double the farm. We've got a huge amount of inflow across institution and inve- retail investor space. And um, you know and then the, with the return that we delivered that we uh, um, you know we. we we think that number is going to get much bigger. Um, this fund invests in long short, so we can buy companies that we think it's going to do very well, and we can short companies that we think the share price is going to fall. Um, so it's quite unique in this sense, um, and um, and uh, and and the fund is very active. So you know we um, <laughs> we, uh, we we invest across large cap companies, mid cap companies, even small micro cap companies uh, wherever the opportunity is. Um, you know across Australian companies at this point. Um, you know. Be perhaps further down the track, we're going Asia. Um, as we talk to, I speak about some of the Asian opportunities before as well. But uh, at this point, it's all Australian business. So, Junbei, when, when you talk about uh, being long short, do they exactly match, or, or is there a, uh, a bias to the long, or can you go bias to the short side of things? 
Well, uh, so we can generally we do have a slight bias to the or the bias to the long, uh, simply because we do have a benchmark. Um, so this is a little bit different. There's many different forms of longshore manager, but for us, we believe that equity market uh, we give you a return of the equity market plus our longshore return. So you know we tend to outperform the market. So you know market in the last couple of years delivered um, you know 15%. We've done close to 30%. So you know just um, we give you both return if you like um, you know our views the market equity market will do pretty well over the next um, little while as well so um, you know and we will outperform that benchmark um, in the times of falling prices so if we look at the March last year uh, clearly market was falling the short side that you know we, we can skew a bit more to the short and the short certainly um, you know help us to do very well in the down market too um. I guess at the moment we're seeing uh, some bubble and froth in some, some markets around the globe and some assets around the globe. I and mean, we've got housing bubbles, I guess, in, in Australia at the moment. Uh, should we be concerned about this current sort of bubbly market that we're in with very high asset valuations? Or is this something that doesn't really keep you up at night? <laughs> Look, um, there's uh, uh, that's a really good question, um, and uh, you know it's been um, some of investors' fear over the last twelve months, really, given how quickly the share market has recovered from uh, the sell-off in March last year because of COVID. Um, our view is that. Um, in some of the subsectors, um, you may see the bubbly valuation, um, but most of the market we actually see, um, you know, the, it is well supported. So let me tell you why. Um, the the reason that overall market look expensive is because of the earnings of the companies have been um, hit very hard because of the COVID, because of lockdown. Um, and in the next two years, you will see some of the highest growth profile coming out of the corporate Australia or even globally. The corporates um, simply because the earning evaporated and in the next two years you have huge growth and even the GDP you know we hit recession within a quarter and then we came back very quickly um, next couple of years or next 12 months we see global GDP growing at fastest pace haven't been seen for quite some time for decades so you know this is actually a very positive environment for the share market so it is very positive for uh, most of the um, areas and uh, um, on top of that you have the central banks happy to lend out in uh, well you know providing a lot of um, you know, free cash flow, almost zero-like interest rate, very low interest rate. Um, that's good for asset prices. So I wouldn't call them bubbles because, you know, one is you have earnings improving. Two is that you have a, a lot of cheap money around and it will be around for a long time. Um, and um, and then you still got the, uh, especially in the US, the government stimulus in place just to ensure that nothing will go wrong, you know, in this uh, economic recovery phase. So um, most of the market, there's no bubble. There are certain subsectors, things look expensive and they will struggle a little bit in terms of performance but overall market we still very very bullish it's funny i was listening to uh, some of the cnbc commentators today talking about the u.s stimulus packages and how it was unprecedented it was even bigger than the world war stimulus that we saw um what well, we didn't see because we weren't alive but um after the Second World War, it is a huge amount of money that they're throwing at the economy there to get that jobs number down and the economy back on track, isn't it? Is that a concern? I mean, it just seems, you know, we've got 
1.9 trillion on top of 0.9 trillion, with 3 trillion of infrastructure coming. It's, it's a big slug of GDP, surely. Absolutely. Look, it's enormous. Even if you look at Australia, our money base has expanded 40% just in the last 12 months. So um, incredible amount of money being printed and giving it back to the economy. And people will spend it. So well, that's the whole point. So people will spend it and, um, you know, hopefully their e businesses will start, you know, building a bit more capacity, hiring more people and get us back to, um, you know, what it was. Um, but without denying, there's just a lot of money in the system. Eventually it becomes a problem. Um, the reason being that... Um, you know, your, your, your interest rate is so low and there's been so much money handed out. Um, you know, what if we do have um, issues further down the track? You can't cut interest rate anymore. And how much more money can you print? So, um, you know, over the long term, um, eventually those debt, those money need to be paid back. Um, and, um, and that just simply means if you take a 10 you know, next few decades, um, the growth will be harder and harder to come by just because, um, you know, the return is hard to make. Um, you know, the money's too cheap and it's too competitive. Everyone's happy with 1% return rather than used to be 5 10%. So, you know, it just means that everything's expensive and the return will be harder to come by. This is actually combined with the interesting, you know, uh, scenarios that when you look at your portfolio, your personal investment portfolio, you have to have structural growth drivers in them, you know, growth leaders in them. You know, at the moment, everyone's saying, oh, don't buy a growth company because they look expensive. Yes, they do look expensive and the like. But take a 10-year view. Your normal cyclical businesses are not going to grow. And the return, uh, the growth are going to be so hard to find. And these growth assets, the company that can have growth, um, will be very highly sought after, taking a, you know, five, 10-year view. So, you know, if they get sold off, investors absolutely should put some into the portfolio to future-proof your portfolio. That, that does answer my next question that I was going to talk to you about, was, was this, this argument between growth and value, value stocks that we're seeing at the moment. You, you clearly come down on the side of, of growth stocks, I guess, um, hoping to buy them a little bit cheaper at the moment. Is that, uh, that's obviously the case. Yeah, look, I, um, that, that's a good question, and that's what's at the front of everybody's mind um, about this value and growth. Um, so twofold to address that. One is that I'm always, <laughs> one is that I'm always of a view that um, as any investor, no one wants to buy anything that um, think the share price is going to fall. So we all value investors ultimately because we buy it thinking the share price will it will give us a return. So if it's a growth company, if I estimate. Uh, you know, uh, accurately of what it might grow to in the future, then, you know, it's, it, it's a value company today, so rather than the growth. So it's a definition of growth. And also, so when we do go to the normal traditional definition of value, cheap companies, companies that generally being pressured structurally, um, you know, and struggle to grow in the normal market environment, and the value company, uh, and growth company are the ones, the tech that has very strong structural driver, but they're super expensive. So these two end tend to help people define it. We always believe in running a portfolio, you've got to have a bit of both. Um, if something can make you money, it doesn't really matter which sector they sit in. Um, yes, you know, from time to time, you have a little bit of skew, um, you know, when you see it in the next 12 months, uh, I agree with you, I think, you know, the value will probably do quite well, simply because uh, these companies has been impacted so much by uh, the COVID-19 lockdown and the like, they will grow. They will grow better, even higher than some of those growth companies. So, uh, And they're cheap. So why wouldn't you have a bit more of those companies in the portfolio? But at the same time, you know, when the growth company gets sold off, it's a growth leader. 
buy them. You know, you will never be able to pick the bottom. Actually, let's not say never. Um, it's difficult to pick the bottom. <laughs> but when they do fall, something like 30%, 40%, um, start building, averaging out, averaging in your positions. You know, things like zero. Recently, we added more to our portfolio. You know, share price come down a lot. It's expensive, but it is a growth leader. It's uh, executed incredibly well. Um, it's got different markets expanding. And so, you know, this ever-growing um, sort of market share for this business, we just think it's, uh, take a five-year view, it'll be so much bigger um, than it is today. So, you know, just averaging in and add them to the portfolio. Yeah, I was going to ask you about that. When, when you're meeting with your team, your investment uh, team, how do you go about deciding on, on a new stock or adding to an old position? Uh, what, what's the sort of process that you go through? Is it just purely fundamental or do you look at the technicals or a combination? or what, What's the sort of um, process that you use? Yeah, uh, look, we, we very much are um, all fundamental um, based on the companies. Um, you know, if it's a, we consider any ideas, um, you know, because I'm a longshore manager, um, uh, I can go after any companies I want to buy because I can short others on the other side. Um, I can do pair trade, which means buy the company I love and short the ones I don't. They could be in the same sector if I can find them. Um, and uh, so that means, um, you know, I can buy those things. I can, you know, have as big position as I like for some of those names. Um, we assess them on a regular basis. So um, for existing positions, um, if something has done very well, um, and if it's you know through the, our valuation or what we think is reasonable, we'll start trimming them or we'll trim some. But you know we won't completely sell out of it, especially for some of those uh, high quality businesses, because we don't believe in um, you know completely selling them out because. Um, you'll forget to buy back in, you know. Um, you know, there's a, some of the advice is that if you find the leader, stick with them. Um, you can be tactical taking profit here and there, but make sure you always buy back. Um, and, uh, um, and then, you know, and then the cyclical business is different, like value, some of the value names that you need, do need to take profit because these are the businesses, um, they, you know, over the five-year period, they won't grow. It's just, you know, you've got to follow the cycle. Um, and with a new position, you know, it's a lot more work because we need to understand the business, get comfortable with the management, track record, all of that. It could take a while to get comfortable with it, but once we're comfortable with it, then we'll pick a price point. Um, you know, we'll wait till sell off or wait till um, you know something happens and then we will take a big position um, you know our fund is close to 900 million dollars so you know for some of the smaller names we do uh, wait around and wait for the uh, opportunity and that opportunity in today's market always comes so um, just don't be fearful when others are fearful um, you know just got to be brave um, knowing you've done the work you want to buy this when everyone else is scared that's when you step in one good example is uh, Treasury Wine. Anyway, we'll talk to it later. Yeah, 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 no, 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 no. Keep going, keep going. Talk to me about Treasury. Treasury Wine. Look, I, I like to use this as an example because you know we publicly talked about this Treasury Wine uh, at the Song Heart and Mind Conference last year. Um, you know, share price when we did our um, you know the the conference, share price went down to close to eight dollars. Um, you know, it was incredibly. Um, cheap um, because yes there's trade and trade war and the like but if you look at the historical um, you know historical support of how China um, you know in terms of commercial in terms of tr 
trading with its big trading partner and the political reality, um, they don't quite marry up. And then the in terms of the trade, that they continue to grow bigger and bigger with their trade largest trading partner. So our view is that this is a short-term blip. Um, at some point, it will come through. Um, you know, we'll move past this. We don't know when, uh, but without worry about when making a call if that's coming through or not. Um, we just look at where the share price, what does the share price mean? You know, at $8 or, you know, $8.50, you know, that entire value was the, um, you know, all these uh, penfolds, premium penfolds sitting in the warehouse already um, packaged and just in bottle sense. You know, you're not paying for any goodwill, you're not paying for any of that. So we look at it, we're just going, you know what, we're not taking that much risk. Um, whether there's in the future will be N-M-A and, you know, trade and all of that, it's just too clear a skew. If it wasn't for the trade uh, trade war, it would have been $20. Um, and because of that, it's at $8. It's just way too clear for us. Um, and so that's how we assess, you know, some of those business that's kind of pretty much backed by its assets or inventory, um, you know, at the time. Uh Junbei, you, you obviously, um, in times gone by, when we were living in a uh, pre-COVID, of course, you, you used to spend quite a bit of time in China, and your team obviously has deep contacts up there. What, what, what's your sense of how this is going to play out in terms of... We've got a new administration in the US. Um, doesn't seem to have got any better in terms of that relationship as yet. It was pretty feisty at the first meeting in Alaska. Um, what, what, what's your sense of how is this going to play out? For the, uh, We've talked about tea, uh, Treasury Wine Estates, but what about A2 Milk and some of the other Chinese exposed companies? Is, is this going to end well for them, or is this just going to be an ongoing grind for them going into the future? Yeah, of course. So um, so there's twofold. There's um, the company-specific. We'll talk to that in a sec, but let's talk to, um, you know, in terms of the relationship with China. Um, you know, um, and then even on the relationship in, with China is, is actually interesting. One is about um, what's going to happen in the next 12, you know, a year or two, and what's going to happen strategically over the long term, what's going, what China wants to do. So, um, you know, let's address what China wants to do over the longer term. You know, China obviously has been a rising power in terms of um, in terms of the uh, economic uh, economic power really um, the economy grew um, during that COVID period um, and uh, you know one of the probably the only economy that grew and uh, it's going to continue to grow in the next uh, this year um, you know on a still very very high growth rate to me you know six percent growth on growth last year was quite phenomenal economy itself is almost matching that of the US um, still a little bit shy of it so it's incredibly powerful economy. Now, uh, the direction over the longer term um, is certainly that China wants to, um, you know, empower itself because as, you know, as it was growing over the last few decades, it used to rely on um, export growth. So, um, you know, you relied a lot on, um, you know, being the world's factory to make things for the developed economy. And, um, you know, and then it, it reached the point that it's, 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 it's mature. It's it, as a part of its maturity that it wants to empower its domestic economy and domestic spend, you know, services and um, continue to be still a very small portion of GDP, but it will pick up. If you look at the consumer consumption uh, as part of GDP in the developed economy, something like 60%, I think Australia is over 60%, um, you know, 60, 65%, whereas in China, it's less than 30. So, you know, there's a lot of opportunity within itself 
for the next leg of growth. And you know, it's just a part of maturity, and it's part of um, you know growing up really. Um, and uh, so China has spent a lot of time talking about how do we make it self-sufficient. So um, you know, they're going to make more things domestically. They're going to spend more on R and D. They're going to do a lot more things within the um, you know the China and the related neighbors um, to empower the consumer and encourage that transition from manufacturing sort of centric um, type of economy into service oriented, which is more sustainable, um, you know, over the long term. And I think this consumer boom is going to be phenomenal. And, you know, it's an opportunity that Australian um, businesses just shouldn't ignore. Now, um, by doing that, um, there's a few things that's going to take place. So they will invest more in the domestic technology. Um, technology company, um, the technology segregation or decoupling from the U.S., uh, or from the Western world um, sort of infrastructure is uh, will take place uh, over the next five years. It's already started, and there will be more of um, more of that to see over the next five years. Um, you know, we will see more businesses doing um, things more just focused on the Asia Pacific rather than you know global, because global it will be a different sense in the next um, in the next five years. Um, you know, the economies will be more segregated from the um, the US. Um, and um, you know it's it's actually an opportunity because you have two sets of technology infrastructure, two sets of um, lots of things. So um, it's still be quite segregated from um, from the U.S. in terms of infrastructure. So this is where things are going, and um, you know I don't see that necessarily as a bad thing. It's been going for quite some time. It will continue to do so. Now. The, the, the trade conflicts, you know, in the last few years and trade issue with Australia, um, you know, we do expect that to ease off in the next year or so. Uh, with the Biden administration you talked to before, uh, we do believe that should ease off. Um, you know, yeah, recently we had a bit of uh, conflict, um, you know, that's been talked about. Um, you know, our expectations that it will ease off over the next 12 months or so. Um, and um, you know, and in Australia, we, <laughs> we, um, you know, certainly um, most businesses are really hoping, um, you know, we we can just, um, you know, hopefully uh, following um, what will happen globally with the U.S. and things that things will ease off. And uh, so far, we haven't really um, seen any significant. Um, sort of um, conflict, um, you know, with Australia. Um, the business seems to be, you know, business as usual, you know, from what we're hearing from, you know, all the business that doing business in China, business as usual. So we're still yet to hear back in terms of, you know, the why um, investigation thing that's, you know, probably coming in the next few months. Um, and so we're kind of just hoping with lack of news flow that things will just ease off. Um, you know, next year or two, I think we're experiencing a more reasonable um, sort of uh, trade environment rather than, you know, five last few years that we've seen so many trade escalation between US and China and all that tariff and things. So all in all, near term, I think things will ease off. Um, but over the long term, you know, that segregation is not going to slow down. Um, you know, with, as a global investor, you should really look at investing across Asia Pac and you know developed economies because it provides great um, diversification. Um, Asian tech company won't trade like the U.S. Nasdaq. So you know when Nasdaq falls, the Asian tech company may not fall. So it's it's just actually fantastic to actually have in any global investor's portfolio on that basis. 
it's it's funny, isn't it? From from an outsider's perspective, and I'm I'm obviously an outsider with regards to, to China. I've never actually um, been to China, which is a terrible admission, given it's our biggest customer. Um, and I should put that right one day when we can travel again. But it, it did seem for a long time that China was reaching out to the world and saying, "Come and sell us your stuff. Come and engage with our population. Come and enrich our economy." And then under Trump, I guess, in the last few years. We've seen China retreating as the U.S. has retreated into itself, and it's and it really seems to have continued to retreat and nailed up those walls even more to some extent in the last uh, well, few months with with Biden, uh, with their push into um, chip making and AI and various other things, and being as you say self-sufficient. Is is that a concern for the world? Because they were out there at one stage, Belt and Road, and helping everybody, and they wanted to be the good guys. And now it just seems to be everyone's becoming very insular about this the global trade, trade I, guess. I guess. Yeah, this is actually this is really interesting. Um, I, I was just um, pulling out some stats. Um, yes, there's a perception that um, certainly politically, you know, perception China has uh, um, gone very inward. Um, you know, so as you said, uh, US, you know, the, the rise of populism. Populism, um, and uh, and um, you know, and all these political headlines with you know what China, you know, the Hong Kong and all of that. So you know what's happening. Businesses, you know, the perception is that oh, how are you going to do business in China? What does that mean in the future? But let me quote some stats for you, which really surprised me. Um, you know, really interestingly. So, you know, um, uh, so you know, just in terms of uh, you know what's been happening in Hong Kong, and if you look at um, you know. The, the, the numbers, um, the share offering, despite what's been happening in Hong Kong in terms of politically and all of that, share offerings have soared. Um, you know, as a lot of China uh, Chinese company now started listing in Hong Kong, um, and um, and then some of the beneficiaries of the company um, that actually have done those offerings are. Western firms, they're the likes of the, the top underwriters are likes of Morgan Stanley and Goldman Sachs. Um, and last year, you know, you think that we're going through all these crises and all of that. Um, the value of US dollar payments cleared in Hong Kong has, um, which is a hub for world's reserve currency, has hit a record of $11 trillion. So foreign investment hasn't had problems. So this is actually all-time high, despite what we have thought, what has been happening. The same thing if you, you know, look at the mainland China as well. So, um, you know, you talk to all these, um, you know, political headlines and um, all these other issues. Um, you, you, you listen to some of the biggest firms, um, you know, US listed firms like, um, uh, you know, the likes of uh, Siemens and Apple and all of that, they all talk to the significant growth that's achieved in those markets. Um, mainland China attracted $163 billion of fresh multinational investment just last year. And this is more than any other country. Um, you know, the, um, and another thing is wealth management. It's actually opening the mainland capital markets to foreign, foreigners. Um, just in the last, um, last little while, they invested $900 billion, um, you know, which is a massive shift for global, um, global, uh, global finance. Um, you know, you talk to some of the U.S. largest uh, wealth management firms, the um, you know the, the Barclays and the like in China. Um, they, they the market is actually incredibly across wealth management and finance. Um, you know they're actually finding doing business is actually um, you know 
very lucrative um, in more recent years. So, you know, it's, it's, it's actually a very, very different reality versus perception. Um, I, I think the reality with China is always very different to the, to the perception uh, over the years. Um, let's just bring it back home now to, uh, to wind up, I guess. When you, when you look at the ASX market, which is your playground, are there any themes that stand out? Are there any um, sort of sectors that you think are the opportunity knocks for 2021? We've, we've gone through a pretty hectic time in the last year. What, what stands out for you going forward in the, ne in the next little while going into... Uh, the end of 2021. Of course. So if you're talking to theme, there's a, you know, we talked to a few key themes that will drive return this year. Some of them played out a little bit, but I think there's more to come. Uh, one is a reflation theme. So, um, you know, we talked to, this is when uh, the expectations of um, inflation coming back um, and the expectations of future dividend, uh, future interest rate increase um, coming through. Um, so, you know, we see reflation are the companies that's, uh, um, you know, like the industrial manufacturing, the businesses that's exposed to uh, expectation high, high interest rates. So there will be uh, the, you know, even the banks kind of sit in there. There's the commodities, the resources kind of sit in there. Um, I know we they all had a, a good run, but there's more to come. So these business will continue to do well throughout this year. Um, the next one will drive return is the uh, return to work. Um, you know, we expect some of the um, COVID beneficiaries and, um, you know, um, say the e-commerce business and the like, they will be impacted this year because people are going back to work. They will shop less online, perhaps. They will go back to the shops. They will return to the shopping center. They will return to the offices. Um, so they will start traveling at some point. Um, so, you know, so all of these, um, we, uh, we expect these companies that were hit last year they will be the winners this year. Um, some of them actually hasn't rallied as hard. So, you know, you should start looking at some of those names, um, uh, you know, in the next 12 months. Um, and uh, the next theme is dividend. Divid uh, Australia has always been a high dividend yielding um, country. Um, you know, because of the banks, they have cut their dividends significantly last couple of years because of Royal Commission, because of all these other issues. So our dividend shrunk. Now this year is going to be enormous. Uh, we're already seeing dividend returning um, in the uh, in a small way, but I think the banks will pay out big dividend yield this year, and the resources will continue to be a big dividend payer. Um, so we're expecting pretty good dividend return um, this year. Um, and um, and uh, the next one is, um, you know, I the next one is a little bit counter consensus is, you know, you, you will continue, you will have opportunities to invest in some of the growth leaders, um, you know, just because they get sold off, um, because um, there will always be support for those businesses. Um, you know, some of the examples I would use here is, uh, you know, zero I talked to before, um, you know, they come off so much, um, average your way in, um, you know, we've we got to invest with a little bit longer than six month view, and these businesses will come back in terms of share price, um, leadership will change at some point. Point, um, and these business will um, will come back quite quite sharply. Uh, one other thing in the Australian market is uh, housing. So housing is very, very, very strong. Um, you know, you want to have exposure to that space. Um, you know, we like the likes of the listing businesses, the REA, the domains, and you know, the builders will do have a pretty good time as well. Um, and um, you know, and uh, uh, you know, with those sort of space, you kind of want to have good exposure. Um, you know, in the next twelve months. Um. There's, some, there's certainly some great ideas there to wrestle with. Uh, what, what advice can you give to retail investors at the moment trying to 
to, to pick out the winners and the losers. Is there any overriding kind of investment philosophy you can impart and say, this is the holy grail, guys. This is what you've got to look at. You know, stick to your guns or do your research or whatever it is. Is there any sort of overriding advice you can give? Yeah, there's a quite a few. Um, one of the long-standing advice is that if you find a leader, um, find a winner in its sector, in in its segment. Um, don't sell. Don't sell too early. Um, you know, this it's like the quality company I talked to. Yeah, they may fall ten percent, twenty percent in the short term, but you hold it. Um, you know, it will do well um, as long as you're comfortable. It is a market leader in its uh, in its segment. Um, you know. Yeah. And the second one is that don't chase hot stocks. Um, I think in this market, today's market is incredibly, incredibly um, risky um, because we've seen it so many times. In um, Market is very, very thin at the moment, which means not that much um, buying and selling uh, volume on the market. So one person buying, you know, one institutional investor buying this stock, it can go up quite a lot. And you have a couple of other retailers, go retail investors buying, then the share price can double, you know, and triple can go up quite a bit. And uh, you just don't want to be that person that's uh, chasing it up because these are risky proposition because share price not going up because of the, um, the underlying business, but it's going up because, you know, other people willing to um, what other people are willing to pay for um, in, in turn usually means that you probably overpaid for those companies so um, you know that's so that's the second advice third advice is that you know don't be fearful once you've done your work like you said sticking to your gun and um, you know you can be technical work out your technical level and things but look just average your way in just don't be don't be scared um, you know, and don't assume that the market know more than you do. Um, and, uh, you know, a lot of times the market just, uh, I, I must say in the, more recently, the market are very short term. You know, market can't look beyond what's going to happen in the next 30 days. So if you can take a longer term view, um, then it makes you better than most of the market participants. Um, and, um, you know, and by the time everyone else caught up to it, you already um, made a lot of returns. So, you know, so it's... It, Investing is an art form, art form really. Um, it's about, uh, you know, stick to what you know and, um, you know, don't chase uh, those hot ideas. June Bay, Lou, it's been um, absolutely fantastic having you on the show. I'm going to give you one last challenge, and it's a question without notice. I've got to say, it's probably a little unfair. Is there one standout stock on the ASX that you just think, this is the best idea I've had all year? I have so many. Um, I thought you'd say that. I have so many. Uh, well, how many do you want? Oh, give me two then. Two. Can I say more? Um, I actually, at this point, um, what are some of the ideas? Um, okay, uh, I, I'll put two. Um, so one is I'm, I'm getting really excited, especially the sell-off opportunity. Um, you know, Domino's, I'm getting very excited uh, that, uh, you know, this company will do 15% growth um, for the next um, three, four years. And this is global growth. And then they, they have good balance sheet. They're going to buy more things. And it's, um, it's that share price actually come off quite a lot um, since they delivered this what was an amazing, um, you know, performance, um, you know, at the half-year result. Um, and, um, yeah, so, you know, that presents really good buying opportunity. Another one I like is um, uh, demand. You know, share price come off 
um, hugely because of this sell-off in the expensive stocks. Um, and uh, you know, my view is that uh, uh, it's being sold off way too much. Um, if anything, listing is going to start uh, looking really, really, really strong in the next couple of months because we start cycling really weak numbers uh, during that COVID period. So um, the business is probably one of the best classified business that will deliver, um, you know, pretty strong growth uh, over the next um, uh, next three years. So that's very well leveraged. I can't talk more. Treasury wine. Uh, I, 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 I know. I know you can. I know you can. But we, we've 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 abused your time enough as it is. It's been it's been absolutely fantastic talking to you today, and you've been very very generous with your time. Not only with your time, but also with your ideas. And I'm sure our members will absolutely love listening to you. And I'm sure we can knock Jonathan Higgins from shore when he talked about buy now pay later, well and truly off the top of the pops with the, uh, the number one downloads for this podcast. So, Junbei, thank you very much. It's been an absolute delight talking to you, and I hope to catch up with you very soon in the flesh as well. Yeah, thank you so much, Henry, and thank you, everyone, for listening, and look forward to meeting people in person and start travelling. Yeah, one day, one day, hopefully soon. Thanks very much. <laughs>